Okay, if you have your Bibles, turn with me please to Galatians. We are still in Galatians. We're in Galatians 4 now. Uh, can I just, uh, again, add my welcome if you're a visitor, uh, add my welcome if, you, if you're coming rarely and hoping to come with us more. Uh, just give a special shout out to Rachel and Daniel who are visiting us from Bethnal Green. Um, Rachel helps Valentina with the online Russian church, so do say hi to them afterwards. Uh, make them feel welcome. So Galatians uh, chapter 4, and starting with verse uh, 23. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman, and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labour. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers are like Isaac, your children of promise. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Thank you, Lord, for this word. Just pray you bless it to us now as we start to uh, unpack it. Amen. Can I ask you a question this morning? What, what sort of child are you? Or what sort of child were you? <clears throat> I'm not going to regale you with uh, stories from my childhood, just to, as a warning. Um, but, but even when I ask that question, you know, we have all sorts of backgrounds. So even the thought of, you know, what, what was my childhood like? That even for some people might be a disturbing and an unsettling question. We might not have had very comfortable childhoods. But really, that's the question that we're going to be looking at in a spiritual sense this morning. What kind of spiritual children are we? If you've been here for our previous sessions in Galatians, you'll know that Paul is writing to a church. He has some concerns about this church because he himself planted this church not so long ago. But now they seem to be turning in a wrong direction. Uh, He's come, he's preached, he's planted the church, he's talked about the the gospel of grace, the sacrifice of Christ. Uh, But now they seem to be turning back to the old covenant law, to to Jewish traditions. Uh, They're declaring that their salvation is based on what they do rather than who they are. And Paul says no, Paul says no, he says he says no in a very dramatic way. He's, he's very emotional about this. He's very angry about this because this is his church. He uses such phrases as, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? I'm astonished 
that you're so easily deserting the one who called you. I wish I could be with you, for I'm perplexed about you. Wow. Uh, this is the emotion that's coming from the heart because Paul is concerned about these people. But, but in the midst of that emotion, Paul does what he does best. And he clearly explains why the direction that they are heading in is wrong. He has made a number of contrasts in this letter already. He's talked about a true gospel and a false gospel. It actually doesn't get clearer than that. There's truth and there's lies. Uh, you're heading in the right direction, now you're not. It's as black and white as that. He's, he's expanded on that and talked about uh, Abraham and Moses, the difference between promise and law. Uh, not that Moses is a bad guy. You know, Moses has a guy that had faith as much as Abraham did, but, but Moses represents the law that these people are turning back to, just saying, it all depends on what I do. And again, Paul says, no, that's not what it's about. The law is not going to save you. The law is not going to be the one that brings you to God. Paul says this very clearly. Uh, it's it's quite, an, quite ironic, in fact, that uh, we can so often think when we read Scripture that, that what is being portrayed here are two options. Option number one is I trust God. I trust God for my salvation. That's option one. That, that's, a, that's a good option. If I don't want to do that, here's option two over here. Uh, I, I follow the law. I'm a good person. Well, in fact, I'm a perfect person. And I'm probably not going to do that. But, but we still see it's kind of two options. Now, option number two, I guess we all agree, isn't terribly viable. I'm not going to suddenly become perfect. And if I'm not already, then I've kind of blown it already. So option two is not a terribly viable option. So let's go with option one. But, but it was never meant to be two options in the first place. The law wasn't there meant to be an option. The law was there simply to show you can't do this in your own strength. There's only one option. That's why Paul says in, the, in, in Galatians 3, <clears throat> the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. So the law is simply there to say, you can't keep me. Don't even try. I'm not even in the room. This is the only option that's worth considering, trusting in me. Okay, that's why by, by, by way of introduction. So let's kick into this. So what sort of children are you? Paul wants to draw out a number of contrasts through this passage. First contrast we find is in verse 23. And it's the difference between doing things in, through human effort and trusting God for his solutions. Verse 23 says, The son of the slave woman was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, we've said already Abraham had two sons. He had Ishmael, and he has Isaac. And what I'm going to do this morning is we're going to be contrasting those two and asking the question, what sort of child do you want to be? Now, this isn't a school test, so... It's not that you have to work out and write down the right answer. I'm going to tell you up front what the answer is. Guys, well, this would be good in school, wouldn't it? If we did lessons like this at school, this would be like, yeah, this would be school plus. So the answer is Isaac. Okay, you can write that down. So, so when I say what sort of child do you want to be, do you want to follow the model of Ishmael or do you want to follow the model of Isaac? The answer is Isaac. Okay, there's no tests, there's no hidden kind of multiple choice. There's only two choices anyway, you know, 
first one's got to be A, then the second one's bound to be B, isn't it? That's how it works. But Isaac or Ishmael, the answer is Isaac. So anyway, when we talk about being slaves or being free, that's a key thing about what Paul's talking about, and we're going to come back to that one in a minute. But really what he's saying in this first verse, he draws out this, this difference between being born of the flesh and being born of the spirit, uh, being born of the promise, sorry. And to understand that, we need to understand a little bit about, or remind ourselves of the story of Abraham and Isaac and Ishmael. <coughs> you see, Abraham was promised a son. We read this story in Genesis 15. God promises him a son, which is an incredible promise. Because Abraham is old, his wife is past childbearing age. So this was a great promise to him. Uh, And I'm sure he was filled with faith at the time. But when that didn't happen, he and his wife started to think about, well, what do we actually do? And, And Sarah suggested that he sleep with their concubine, their slave, their servant, it's perhaps the same word, sleep with Hagar and produce a child in that way. Maybe actually that was even God's plan that we have a, have a child through Hagar. And in that way, that's what Abraham does, Ishmael is born. But this wasn't God's plan. Because in chapter 17, God has to remind Abraham and Isaac that there's still a child to come. Sarah is promised that she will have a child, but, but Ishmael is now on the scene. So the problem also with this narrative is is we don't really understand, we don't get the Abraham-Isaac-Hagar narrative. It doesn't play very well to our 21st century sensibilities because uh, uh, Hagar is, is, uh, is mistreated, if you like. She flees into the desert uh, she comes back uh, with her child, and then there's this second argument about who's going to inherit. Is, is Ishmael going to have something to of the inheritance? And so they're sent away again into the desert, effectively to die. So you think, well, Abraham, here's our champion of faith. He's kind of standing for parental neglect and abandonment and uh, uh, not things that sit very well in the 21st century. Um, so actually, it's very helpful when Paul, in verse 24 says, now this may be interpreted allegorically. That means use it as a picture, which is really helpful. Because what Paul's saying is, his church, this Galatian church, they're separated by about 4,000 years from Abraham and Isaac and Sarah. And he says, yeah, we don't get it. We're separated by 6,000 years. So, So let's just take it as a picture. Let's take it as a story. It's a real event. It really happened. But we can use this contrast. So what I'm really saying here is there is this difference that Ishmael was born through human endeavour. Abraham said, here's a problem that we've got to solve. What can we do? And he kind of took his eyes off the ball, eyes off the promise. We've been talking about promises this morning, haven't we? Abraham took his eye off the promise and said, how do I solve this in my own strength? Which in many ways is very commendable but not what God wanted. Because God wanted him to trust in him. God wanted him to wait for that promise to come. I wonder if you, by nature, are a problem solver. Do you do that in your job? It's very easy to kind of think that solving the problem is is, is what it's all about. Human endeavour. Are you trying to roll that stone up the hill in your own strength? 
Is that you this morning? Some of the things that Mark shared, you know, if you're going through hardship and difficulty and pain and anguish, is that you? That can be tough. That can be tough. It can be hard to say, hey, God, I just want to trust in you. I want to hear from you. I want to be filled with you again. That's what we do here on a Sunday morning. That's why we meet in this way. That's why we want to pray for one another and encourage one another. Brings us on nicely to the second point that I'd like to talk about. Again, what kind of child are you? Are you a child of limited faith or resolute trust? You see, at the end of the day, Abraham was only human. He's in scripture as a champion of faith and he has far more faith than I'm sure I would ever have in such situations. But ultimately that faith was limited. I just get the picture sort of putting it into modern day kind of parlance. Uh, Abraham goes along to the, the Sunday evening celebration that happens in Genesis 15 and God speaks to him and says, you're going to have a son uh, and Abraham comes from the meeting and he's buzzing and he's excited. And he's like, oh, Sarah, you know, God spoke to us tonight. It's really exciting. There's a promise that we're holding on to. But Genesis 15 becomes Genesis 16. And the promise hasn't come to pass. And you think, oh, where's that promise? I'm still waiting. And then in Genesis 17, it gets reaffirmed. But, but you know... In Genesis 16, Abraham didn't know there was a Genesis 17. You know, he's still waiting for this promise. And guys, we live in an instant generation, don't we? More and more today, we want the answers now. Uh, again, my work in retail, I was just reading something the other day. It all happens in Japan, doesn't it? But if you're coming home on the Japanese subway, there's an app that you can use to order your food such that 30 minutes later it will be on your doorstep when you get home. So you don't even have to think about what you want for tea during the day. You think about what you want for tea that night on the journey home. And it's 30 minutes. And in a couple of years' time, that's going to be too slow. You know, we live in an instant generation. Now, how does that play out for us when we're waiting for promises? When we're waiting for God to answer us? You know, the words of Habakkuk are very telling. Uh, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vine, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flocks be cut off from the fold, there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord and take joy in my salvation. You see, it's easy to have faith when there's food on the table, when the flocks are in the field. But what do you do when uh, the harvest fails and the flocks have fled? It's easy to have faith when you have a job, when you're in good health, when your neighbours are behaving, when your children are all saints. It's a little bit harder when you're looking for that job, when there's problems in your body, when your kids are not behaving. (laughs) And the question is still, you know, what faith do you have in those situations? Is it the sort of faith that kind of wanes a little bit and dips a little bit? And yes, guys, we all go through peaks and troughs. You see, I'm not saying we need to be perfect, but we need to recognise that. We need to ask ourselves, how quickly, how immediately do I expect God to answer? Will, will I just give him that little bit longer where I hold on and pray and trust? 
My, uh, my son has just come back from a holiday in France. He was telling us about this uh, uh, the other day. And uh, they were in Paris. And they had a train to catch in about an hour. And they hadn't eaten. So, so they went to this restaurant and they said, uh, can you give us some food, but could you serve it quickly? Because we have a train to catch. And he said, as soon as he said that, he said, you don't do that in France. Because the whole kind of philosophy is you sit down and you enjoy your food. But he said, we had to say it because we said, look, we have a train to catch in now. Could you serve us quickly? And he thought, I'm sure that the, the, the waiter has gone to the kitchen and said, oh, these English, I can't do French accents, I'll go sit with it. These English, they think we're McDonald's. <laughs> uh, but, he said, but we had a train to catch. And, but the interesting thing is, they served them quickly. They caught their train. You see, fast food has made it to France as well. We're in a generation where instant responses are the norm. But we bring that into the church, don't we? We bring that into the church. And when we pray, we say, God, why haven't you answered my prayer? Why haven't you answered that? And our faith takes a dip. And so that's the question for this point. Again, what child are we? Are we a child that was born ultimately through a dip in faith, a desire to do things in our own strength? Or are we a child, an Isaac, that comes through promise? Thirdly, moving on, we have this uh, phrase in English, the ends justify the means. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase before. It's kind of a philosophical argument. Always good to have a bit of philosophy on a Sunday morning. Um, but it comes from, an, uh, it's credited to many philosophers, but it probably comes, goes way back to the ancient Greeks that, that basically says, if an outcome is worthy enough, it actually doesn't matter how you achieve it. Uh, there's a great quote from uh, uh, Henry Russell Saunders, who was an American football coach, at the University of California in Los Angeles in the 1950s. And he said, winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. <laughs> now, that may be an incredibly motivating quote, but in all honesty, we probably wouldn't agree with that. Generally, the ends don't justify the means. However worthy something is, the way you achieve it is equally important. So if I'm running a race, that's me, there you go, I haven't got the beard anymore, but there's me, I'm running this race, what's the goal, what's the objective? It's to cross the winning line, isn't it? It's to be first. That's the ends, that's the goal. But how I get there is important, because I'm not allowed to trip up another runner. I'm not allowed to start before the starting gun. I'm not allowed to take drug-enhancing or drug-enhancing Enhancing performance drugs. There we go. <laughs> I wouldn't take them because I can't even pronounce them. <laughs> but you see, how we do something is as important as what we do. And that actually is a very scriptural principle. That's very important here. Now, why am, also, why am I saying this? Because this is what God is saying through this story. The, me, the, the, the means are as important as the ends. And guys, we, we do this. We're, we're very good at doing this. We just want to solve the problem. We just want to make the problem go away, don't we? So again, I can see Abraham here. Problem. 
I was promised a son. I don't have a son. That's the problem that I'm going to solve. How do I do that? Well, I'm going to get a flipboard out. I'm going to get a marker. Let's just brainstorm some options. Uh, option number one, trust in God. That's always a good option number one. Pros, well, it's very simple. Cons, well, it hasn't got us very far yet. We're still waiting. Okay, solution option number two. Option number two, adoption agencies. Oh, they don't exist in 4000 BC <laughs> Palestine. Okay. Option number three, some other medical solutions. No, they don't exist either. Option number four, well, there's Hagar. And you see how in brainstorming the, the problem, in trying to get from A to Z and not worrying about B, C, D and E in the middle, we've kind of done the right thing in the wrong way. And God says, no, that's not what it's about. You see, God, through this story, was teaching Abraham and Isaac and Sarah and teaching us something. You see, God didn't make them wait just for the fun of it. It wasn't that God was busy doing something else. It wasn't that he was, he'd forgotten about them. It wasn't that he was just trying to wind them up. There was a lesson here. You see, Abraham is more to Isaac is more than just a physical son. Isaac is a picture. Isaac is a promise. Isaac is a story. Isaac is the gospel. And it's all wrapped up in this child. You see, Abraham and Sarah, you must wait for Isaac because my people must wait for the Messiah. From the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New Testament, a 400 years where God seems to be silent, where God doesn't speak. People are crying out, where's the Messiah? Where's the coming king? Where's the one who will release us and redeem us and restore us and save us? 400 years of silence, waiting. And Isaac is a picture of that. He's a picture of waiting for the promise to come. I'm sure you, you know the story of Isaac as a young man that God told Abraham to sacrifice him. There's a deeper story here. There's a much deeper story here. Because Abraham... Uh, we read this in Genesis uh, 22, uh, the story where Abraham uh, takes Isaac up Mount Moriah to sacrifice him because God has asked him to do that. And at the very last minute, God says, no, you've shown your faith. And God provides this, this ram as the sacrifice himself, a ram with his head caught in a thicket bush, his head crowned in thorns. Have we heard that before? And that Mount Moriah where that sacrifice took place, Abraham's descendants would move to Egypt because of a famine. They'd stay in Egypt as slaves. Under Moses, they would come out. Under Joshua and David, they would take that promised land again. But they'd be taken into captivity by Assyria and by Babylon. And so throughout the history, there's this coming and going, but... By the time of Galatians, they end up back in the promised land. This time occupied by the Romans, but back where Abraham started it all. And guess what's still there? Mount Moriah. That mountain just outside Jerusalem. And 4,000 years earlier, a sacrifice had been made. A sacrifice whose head had been crowned with thorns. 
4,000 years later, another sacrifice takes place. Another lamb is sacrificed on the cross. Another lamb whose head is crowned with thorns. And this is the picture. This is the story. This is what God is saying Isaac is all about. Jesus does not enter the story of Scripture in Matthew chapter 1. I don't know if any of you have written books or are interested in how you do narrative, how you tell stories. One of the basic rules of storytelling is your hero gets into the story fairly early on. I meant to Google this and forgot to do it, but, but how long into Star Wars does Luke Skywalker appear? It isn't very long. It isn't the beginning. It isn't that opening, that wonderful opening scene with the, with the Imperial battle cruiser. Yeah, it isn't that opening scene. You've got R2-D2 in there and C-3PO, but, but Luke gets into the story pretty soon. He doesn't turn up in the finale. And we don't get two-thirds of the way, three-quarters of the way through this book to Matthew and then suddenly find, oh, someone called Jesus has entered the story. No, he's there back here. And this is what is being said. And then fourthly, I said I'd come back to this one. Slavery and freedom, that last contrast, perhaps the most important. You see, Paul in his writing talks a lot about slaves. He talks about us being slaves to sin. He talks about us being freed from sin. Because this is the heart of Paul's argument. This is the heart of, frankly, what has got Paul cross and upset and annoyed with the Galatians. Because we're all slaves to sin. We've all fallen short of God's glory that separates us. A slave has no control over what they say and over what they do. See, we're like slaves. We're covered in filthy rags. Standing on the auction block, saying, I've got no control over what I think, over what I do, over where I go. Is anybody going to buy me? Anybody going to pay the price for me? I'm yours, you can buy me. <laughs> Will do. I'm a slave. Will anybody buy me? And then a voice comes from the back of the crowd. I'll buy him. I'll pay the price. And in my picture, maybe some money changes hands. You know the narrative here that we're talking of. This is Christ's sacrifice on the cross. As I'll pay with my, my very body on the cross. I'll set you free. Come down from the auction block. Take off that sign. Take off your filthy rags because you're now free. I've made you clean. I've made you whole. I've redeemed you. That's the gospel, isn't it? But you know what? That's not what Paul is talking about here in Galatians. 
Paul has assumed that. Paul has preached that. I believe actually the Galatian church still know that. What Paul is angry about is what happens next. Because Jesus now looks at this slave who is freed and says, you're free. You can do anything you like. You can do anything with your life that you want. I've freed you. I've paid the price. What do you want to do with your life? And the slave says, I kind of think it would be nice to put this back on. This felt very comfortable. I kind of liked this round my neck. And if it's okay with you, Jesus, I'd like to just go back on the auction block and make myself a slave again. And that's what Paul has got cross about. That's what Paul has got upset about. Is that dramatic? Was that overly dramatic? Would we do that? Well, brothers and sisters, we do that every day. We do that every single day when we refuse to surrender everything to the one that has bought us. When Christ paid that price for us, he took our sin, he took our hurt, he took our disappointment, he took our anger, he took all the things that we have that we say this was unfair, and he said, they're with me on the cross. But you know what we so often do? We say, oh, you can't have that hurt. That's still mine. Because, well, that makes me a victim, and I quite like the self-pity. So I'm hanging on to that. And that person who said that to me all those years ago, that hurt, but you're not having that. I'm hanging on to that. You see, making ourselves slaves to sin is not just what we do. God's freed us from that. It's what we hang on to. It's what we refuse to give him. And for that slave who stands back on the auction block, what more can Jesus do? Because he's already given everything. We've heard wonderful stories this morning about people giving things to Jesus. Fears, disappointments. But I'm pretty sure that every one of us in this room uh, is not absolutely perfectly comfortable and happy. I think if you look deep, or not even deep, I think if you looked in your pockets, looked into what you're hanging on to, you would indeed find something that says, hey, I need to give this to Jesus. We, we sing, I surrender all, so easily, don't we? Yet so often piled around us are the things that we're not quite prepared to surrender. That's tough. It genuinely is tough when, when you have been hurt, when you have been disappointed, when somebody has said something that cuts you deeply. It's easy to go back to being a slave and saying, I'm going to let that master me. I'm going to let that control me. I'm going to let that dictate what I do and what I say and what I think. So, brothers and sisters, we have run out of time. I'm going to close there. I'm going to ask the band to come back. It'll be good just to close uh, in worship. But can I ask this morning, if you are carrying something and God has just spoken to you saying, give that to me again this morning. If you're holding on to past hurt, past disappointment, if you've just got a sense of, I I just can't trust God fully in this area. I, I just need more faith. 
That's a good prayer to pray. We'd love to pray with you for that. Just, Lord, give me more faith. Give me more, more trust in you. Help me see that promise come through. So again, there are folks here that can pray with you. It would be really good if just as we sing one last song, if you want some prayer, if you come to the front, folks will pray with you. I would love to pray with you. If you feel more comfortable, just turn to somebody that you know and asking them to pray with you, then please do that. But again, what child or what sort of child are you? Are you going to be a child of promise, of faith and trust, of freedom? Or are you going to be a child of slavery and human endeavour? Amen.